Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 283. Today's big Bible question, must wives submit to their husbands and husbands sacrifice for their wives? Well, hello, friends. Happy Monday to you. Today, we're reading 1 Kings chapter 8, Psalms 89, Ezekiel 38, and Ephesians chapter 5. A few notes on these passages before we dive into our big Bible question. Ezekiel 38 is quite interesting because many people consider it sort of a last days in times passage. As we read, listen closely and see if you can understand why. Our 1 Kings 8 passage is extremely long. In fact, it is the second longest chapter in the Bible, actually. And oddly, our Bible reading plan author, Robert Murray McShane, I'm a huge fan of his, has us read that chapter all in a day, whereas he breaks up Psalms 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, but it's only like 300 words longer than this passage, he breaks up Psalms 119 into seven days. In 1 Kings 8, we get to eat it all today. So there you go. More importantly, though, for us, however, is Solomon. As we read the passage, behold Solomon's amazing leadership there. Consider his amazing prayer and how he led the gathering and how the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And then consider that Solomon saw and experienced this, that he spoke to the Lord prior to this, and that he had astounding wisdom. And remember that at the end of his life, Solomon's heart was not wholeheartedly devoted to God. He was distracted by too many wives, too many idols, too much gold, etc. Is Solomon in heaven? I have no idea, but it's honestly a real question, and that fact that it's a real question is a real warning to us when we consider his life. Nobody, not even Solomon, can get away with consistently disobeying God's commands and turning to serve and worship other gods, not even the wisest man in the world. So, a controversial big Bible question is on tap today, and this is a good time to remind you of something. Well, two somethings, actually. Number one, I didn't write the Bible. If you agree with certain parts of it or disagree with certain parts of it, know that I am responsible for none of it. Now, my interpretations might be off, of course, and I am indeed responsible for that. But I find that most of the Bible is quite clearly written, like today's passage, and there's no real question about what is said. Now, of course, there's exceptions to that, but by and large, the Bible is quite clear. We understand it, and the big question is not whether or not we know what it says, but whether or not we will obey what it says. So, number one, I didn't write the Bible. Number two, don't take my word for it. Now, I can honestly tell you that I am trying my best to understand and teach precisely what the Bible says and not give you my opinion at all. But as I've mentioned before, there are areas where I am wrong. Nobody has perfect theology or a perfect understanding of the Bible, much less me. If you think you have perfect theology or a perfect understanding of the Bible, you don't. That means you need to be like the noble Bereans and study the word for yourself, not to see how you feel about it. Your feelings and my feelings are unreliable guides. Don't trust them to interpret and understand Scripture. But you need to understand and study the Word for yourself to know what it says, to know what it says in context, and to know how other verses inform and shed light on the particular passage you are reading. So in that light, let's read Ephesians 5 together. It's a glorious passage, and it does contain one of the most controversial passages in the entire Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognized this, every sexually immoral person or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with their heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So, great stuff here. I named my first ministry uh, way back in 1995, an online ministry that sought to help people addicted to pornography after this passage. Uh, The internet was really pretty young then. Uh, Not many people were on it, but already pornography was pervasive on the internet and already people were addicted. And so I began a ministry called Exposing the Darkness. I think I I just graduated from college It was based on Ephesians 5.11. Of the many things we could talk about in this passage, though, I think we should talk about the very, very controversial part. So let's read it again. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, says Ephesians 5.22, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And also, verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 33, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Well, 
probably the most controversial part of the passage is, of course, verse 22, where wives are told to submit to their husbands. Now, of course, some people find this absolutely barbaric and old-fashioned, and, you know, I understand why. Taken out of context, Ephesians 5.22 really could lead to a lot of abuse in marriage and could represent a pretty sweet arrangement for a husband. But we don't take Scripture out of context. We understand Scripture in context. And here in this passage, Paul is going to give instructions to husbands and wives. Wives are given one set of instructions and husbands are given a different set of instructions. To wives, Paul commands submissions and submission and gives us a very clear metaphor to understand what type of submission is being commanded. Now, some people have spent a lot of time arguing over the Greek word that is translated as head here. It's the Greek word kephale. Some say it means something like chief or leader. Others say it means something like source, as in like the source of a river or something along those lines. Now, both meanings are possible given the range of meanings of the Greek word. But the real important and clarifying part is where Paul says that wives should submit to their husbands like the church to sub- submits to Jesus. That's a very strong and convincing illustration that doesn't really leave much wiggle rooms. R- wiggle room. So should wives submit to their husbands? Well, the Bible says yes, quite clearly in this passage and several other passages. I recognize, of course, how difficult this command is for a wife, especially a wife married to an imperfect husband. I know lots of husbands, and I can imagine that submitting to them in any way could be very difficult. In fact, I know a woman, very well as it turns out, married to a guy who does a daily Bible reading podcast, and boy, I wouldn't want to be in her shoes and hear this command from Paul, because I know her husband like super super well. So, is there any question grammatically that Paul commands wives to submit to their husbands? I would say no. It's right there in black and white, clear as a bell. It says what it says. But it's not fair. It's old-fashioned. You don't know my husband. This isn't right, I hear you say. Now, remember, I didn't write this passage. And also, I want to tell you, I believe it's absolutely right and proper and wonderful because of what Paul wrote to husbands. Husbands have a command here to love their wives. Oh, big deal, I hear you say. We're all supposed to love. I can even hear your eyes rolling in the distance and your angry comments. It's not fair. Wives have to submit and all husbands have to do is love. Objection noted. Except for, you know, this one huge thing that Paul makes a massive deal about, writing far more to the husbands in this passage than the wives, so that that he ensures that block-headed husbands really, really, really understand what he is commanding. How? Are husbands supposed to love their wives? Well, we get an illustration here too. We are supposed to love our wives, husbands, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ah, (laughs) now that clarifies things a bit, doesn't it? Husbands aren't just supposed to love their wives by saying, I love you a few times a week or a month, or by giving them flowers or the occasional hug or every now and then doing chores or, you know, being kind of sweet and picking up your socks or whatever. Oh, no, nothing like that. Now, you better do all those things. And actually, you better do a 100 times better than all of those things. Because the problem is, or the wonderful thing is, the bar is raised as high as it possibly could be here. Husbands must love their wives the way that Christ 
loved the church. And Paul puts it twice in this passage that Jesus gave himself for the church. So what did Jesus do for the church? Well, he died for the church, paying the price for the sins of the church and suffering immensely on behalf of the church. Further, not just that, he is in heaven now, ever living like 24-7 to intercede for the church. So his death on the cross isn't just a one-time act of love, but it's an ongoing, present, active, continuous, always love for the church. Husbands are commanded to love their wives like this, sacrificial love, deeply sacrificial love. In fact, the greatest example of sacrificial love in history is the example we're commanded to follow here. Ongoing and always love. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus selfish? Was he self-serving? Did he come to be served or did he come to serve? How did Jesus treat the church and his disciples? Well, that's the model for how a husband should love his wife. Is this easy? Absolutely not. It's virtually impossible. But don't take that, husbands, as a remote excuse to not try. You must try. I must try. We must love our wives sacrificially without a gram, an ounce, an atom of self-serving in there. In a biblical marriage, the husband serves and sacrifices in every way, and the wife submits. Neither one of those things is easy. And this is obviously different from what most in the world right now think of as marriage. But I would argue that it is absolutely biblical and absolutely beautiful. Again, is it easy? Not even close. Is the Bible's teaching on marriage set up in a patriarchal way to benefit the husband? Now, the only way to even begin to think such a thought is to denigrate the cross of Christ and minimize his sacrifice. The husband in a Christian marriage is not there to be served, but to serve and to give his life for his wife in a similar way that Jesus gave his life for the church. Paul here in Ephesians 5 gives us a glimpse into a wonderful mystery that husbands and wives model the ministry of Jesus and the reality of the gospel in their interactions with each other. When a husband sacrifices himself and serves his wife, that honors Christ. When a wife submits to her husband, that honors Christ. And I think both those things are beautiful. Now, let's be personal. Does my marriage model those principles? (laughs) Not always. My wife and I love each other very much, and she is a wonderful woman, but submission and sacrifice uh, are and serving, (laughs) they're difficult. But I can tell you that Our marriage is best when I am serving and sacrificing for my lovely life and when she is submitting. When we model submission, sacrifice, and serving, we model the wonderful way that Jesus himself interacted with his heavenly Father. Does it devalue Jesus that he submitted to his Father? Absolutely not. Does it devalue Jesus that he served the church while he was on earth? No, it doesn't. He says it's great to serve. Does it devalue Jesus that he sacrificed himself for the church while he was on earth? Absolutely not. So Christ is our model, husbands and wives, and each one of us models a different facet of his behavior and his love while on earth. And I just think that's a wonderful thing. Well, let's go on to our very long, but also wonderful, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1 passage. 
At that time, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, of all the tribal heads and the ancestral leaders of the Israelites before him at Jerusalem, in order to bring in the ark of the Lord's covenant from the city of David, that is, Zion. So all of the men of Israel were assembled in the presence of King Solomon in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month at the festival. All the elders of Israel came, and the priests picked up the ark. The priests and the Levites brought the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and the holy utensils that were in the tent. King Solomon and the entire congregation of Israel who had gathered around him and were with him in front of the ark were sacrificing sheep, goats, and cattle that could not be counted or numbered because there were so many. The priests brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place beneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim were spreading their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim covered the ark and its poles from above. The poles were so long that their ends were seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they were not seen from outside the sanctuary. They are still there today. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites when they came out of the land of Egypt. When the priests came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple, and because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord said that he would dwell in total darkness. I have indeed built an exalted temple for you, a place for your dwelling forever. The king turned around and blessed the entire congregation of Israel while they were standing. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He spoke directly to my father David, and he has fulfilled the promise by his power. He said, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city to build a temple in among any of the tribes of Israel, so that my name would be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David at his heart said on building a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Since your heart was set on building a temple for my name, you have done well to have this desire. Yet you are not the one to build it. Instead, your son, your own offspring, will build it for my name. The Lord has fulfilled what he promised. I have taken the place of my father David, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark, where the Lord's covenant is that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire congregation of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below, who keeps the gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept what you promised to your servant, my father David. You spoke directly to him, and you fulfilled your promise by your power as it is today. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep what you promised to your servant, my father David. You will never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take care to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, Lord God of Israel, please confirm what you promised to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed live on earth? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less the temple that I have built. Listen to your servant's prayer and his petition, Lord my God, so that you may hear the cry and the prayer that your servant prays before you today, so that your eyes may watch over this temple night and day towards the place where you said, My name will be there, and so that you may hear the prayer that your servant prays towards this place. Hear the petition of your servant and your people Israel, which they pray towards this place. May you hear in your dwelling place in heaven. May you hear and forgive. When a man sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath, and he takes comes to take an oath before your altar in this temple, may you hear in heaven and act. 
May you judge your servants, condemning the wicked man by bringing what he has done on his own head and providing justice for the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and they return to you and praise your name, and they pray and plead with you for mercy in this temple, may you hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel. May you restore them to the land you gave their ancestors. When the skies are shut and there is no rain, because they have sinned against you, and they pray towards this place and praise your name, and they turn from their sins because you were afflicting them. May you hear may you hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel, so that you may teach them to walk on the good way. May you send rain on your land that you gave your people for an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, when there is pestilence, when there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, when their enemy besieges them in the land and its cities, when there is any plague or illness, every prayer or petition that any person or that all your people Israel may have, they each know their own affliction as they spread out their hands towards this temple. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place and may you forgive, act, and give to everyone according to all their ways, since you know each heart. For you alone know every human heart so that you they may fear you all the days they live on the land. You gave our ancestors, even for the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name, strong hand and outstretched arm, and will come and pray toward this temple. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all the foreigner asks. Then all peoples of earth will know your name to fear you as your people Israel do, and to know that this temple I have built bears your name. When your people go out to fight against their enemies, wherever you send them, and they pray to the Lord in the direction of the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, may you hear their prayer and petition in heaven, and uphold their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and hand them over to the enemy, and their captors deport them to the enemy's country, whether distant or nearby. And when they come to their senses in the land where they were deported and repent and petition you in their captor's land, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, and when they pray to you in the direction of their land that you gave their ancestors, the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and petition, and uphold their cause. May you forgive your people who sinned against you and all their rebellions against you. And may you grant them compassion before their captors so that they may treat them compassionately. For they are your people and your inheritance. You brought them out of Egypt, out of the middle of an iron furnace. May your eyes be open to your servant's petition and to the petition of your people Israel, listening to them whenever they call to you. For you, Lord God, have set them apart as your inheritance from all the peoples of the earth as you spoke through your servant Moses when you brought out ancestors out of Egypt. When Solomon finished praying this entire prayer and petition to the Lord, he got up from kneeling before the altar of the Lord with his hands spread out toward heaven, and he stood and blessed his whole congregation of Israel with a loud voice. Blessed be the Lord! He has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has said. Not one of all the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us so that he causes us to be devoted to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances which he commanded our ancestors. 
May my words with which I have made my petition before the Lord be near the Lord our God day and night. May he uphold his servant's cause and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. May all the people of the earth know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commands as it is today. The king and all Israel with him were offering sacrifices in the Lord's presence. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. In this manner, the king and all the Israelites dedicated the Lord's temple. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the courtyard that was in front of the Lord's temple because that was where he offered the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, since the bronze altar before the Lord was too small to accommodate the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. Solomon and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, observed the festival at that time in the presence of the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, fourteen days. On the fifteenth day, he sent the people away, so they blessed the king and went to their homes rejoicing and with happy hearts for all the goodness that the Lord had done for his servant David and for his people Israel. Well, the second longest chapter in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you noticed this while we were reading. I did not know it until I read it, but there is a sentence in that chapter with 144 words in it. Yes, 144 words, basically half a page, one sentence. Psalm chapter 89, verse 1. I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. For I will declare, faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness to the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. Selah. Lord, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, more awe-inspiring than all who surround him. Lord, God of armies, who is strong like you, Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your powerful arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. North and south, you created them. Tabor and Hermon, shout for joy at your name. You have a mighty arm. Your hand is powerful and your right hand is lifted high. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. Happy are the people who know the joyful shout. Lord, they walk in the light from your face. They rejoice in your name all day long, and they are exalted by your righteousness. For you are their magnificent strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. Surely our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. You once spoke in a vision to your faithful ones and said, I have granted help to a warrior. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. I have anointed him with my sacred oil. My hand will always be with him, and my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not oppress him. The wicked will not afflict him. I will crush his foes before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and love will be with him, and though through my name his horn will be exalted. I will extend his power to the sea and his right hand to the rivers. He will call to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I will also make him my firstborn, greatest of the kings of the earth. I will always preserve my faithful love for him, and my covenant with him will endure. 
I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as heaven lasts. If his sons abandon my instruction and do not live by my ordinances, if they dishonor my statutes and do not keep my commands, then I will call their rebellion to account with the rod, their iniquity with blows. But I will not withdraw my faithful love from him or betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or change what my lips have said once and for all. I have sworn an oath by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring will continue forever, his throne like the sun before me, like the moon established forever, a faithful witness in the sky, Selah. But you have spurned and rejected him, you have become enraged with your anointed, you have repudiated the covenant with your servant, you have completely dishonored his crown, you have broken down all his walls, you have reduced his fortified cities to ruin. All who pass by plunder him, for he has become an object of ridicule to his neighbors. You have lifted high the right hand of his foes, you have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back his sharp sword and have not let him stand in battle. You have made his splendor cease and have overturned his throne. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah. How long, Lord? Will you hide forever? Will your anger keep burning like fire? Remember how short my life is. Have you created everyone for nothing? What courageous person can live and never see death? Who can save himself from the power of Sheol? Selah. Lord, where are the former acts of your faithful love that you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, Lord, this ridicule, the ridicule against your servants. In my heart, I carry abuse from all the peoples, how your enemies have ridiculed, Lord, how they have ridiculed every step of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, face Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with all your army, including horses and riders, who all are splendidly dressed, a huge assembly armed with large and small shields, all of them brandishing swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them all of them with shields and helmets, Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Togamoth from the remotest parts of the north, along with all its troops, troops, many peoples are with you. Be prepared and get yourself ready, you and your whole assembly that has been mobilized around you. You will be their guard. After a long time, you will be summoned. In the last years, you will enter a land that has been restored from war and regathered from many peoples to the mountains of Israel, which had long been a ruin. They were brought out from the peoples, and all of them now live securely. You, all of your troops and many peoples with you, will advance, coming like a thunderstorm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. This is what the Lord God says. On that day, thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will devise an evil plan. You will say, I will advance against a land of open villages. I will come against a tranquil people who are living securely, all of them living without walls and without bars or gates, in order to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against ruins now inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations, who have been acquiring cattle and possessions and who live at the center of the world. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its rulers will ask you, Have you come to see spoil? Have you mobilized your assembly to carry off plunder, to make off with silver and gold, to take cattle and possessions, to seize plenty of spoil? Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, This is what the Lord God says. On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know this and come from your place in the remotest parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, 
who all are riding horses, a huge assembly, a powerful army, you will advance against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. It will happen in the last days, Gog, that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. This is what the Lord God says. Are you the one I spoke about in former times through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who for years prophesied in those times that I would bring you against them? Now on that day, the day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, this is the declaration of the Lord God, my wrath will flare up. I swear in my zeal and fiery wrath, on that day there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, every creature that crawls on the ground and every human being on the face of the earth will tremble before me. The mountains will be demolished, the cliffs will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains. This is the declaration of the Lord God, and every man's sword will be against his brother. I will execute judgment on him with plague and bloodshed. I will pour out torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur on him, as well as his troops and the many peoples who are with him. I will display my greatness and holiness and will reveal myself in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Amen. Yes, he is the Lord. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.